0: Let's pray. Jesus, you are awesome. And we're just in awe of you and how much you love us and how much you hold us, even though we just try to get out of your arms and out of your sight and we try and run away from you sometimes, and yet you love us anyways like you said in the song, you know, you hold us through the night, you're there for us no matter what, you care about every single need that we have, the small things, the big things, all of our desires, you see, and they're not small to you, that you care about them hugely, but you can grant them to us, because you care, and you are an awesome father, God, so we pray that you would help us just to worship you, because you are worthy, and we worship you tonight through just the studying, through the scriptures, through the fellowship. God help us to worship you because you deserve it all. And we praise you in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, first Timothy two, eight through fifteen. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control.
1: Wonderful. Let's pray. God, we can never pray enough. And even after we say amen in this prayer, I pray that prayer would continue on in our souls as we study the scripture tonight. I'm so grateful and thankful for the family of God this evening and everyone who showed up, even our visitors and friends, to come in faith, to sing as we've studied and learned to the king of the ages, the immortal and invisible and the only God, to have read holy scripture that we believe is inspired by the creator, the living and true God. And so even now in the middle of the week, in the middle of whatever it is we're going through or even feeling right now, this is your opportunity, this is the chance for us to come humbly and ask you, Lord, speak to us right now. Into the middle of our circumstances, into the middle of our emotions, and to the middle of life, we believe that you are, your voice is so powerful and the Bible is so important that we must pause in the middle of the week to gather like this to get into it. So thank you so much for the faith that's in this room. I thank you so much that I get to be a part of it and that I get to serve and participate by the teaching and preaching of the Bible. So help me and help us to get under it and hear from you. Speak, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's children said. Amen. I'm going to pray for us one more time because my prayer now, Lord, is that in the title that you've given me of Divine Dance Lessons, what's most important is that all of us, all of us, from the youngest keiki, all the way up, all of us see where this comes from the Bible, that you said it, you designed it, you crafted it. You made us man and woman in your likeness. And we are to display your glory. And we confess, Lord, that we all have fallen short. We've all stepped on toes in this dance. We've all had awkward and horrible moments. Perhaps in this room there's a lot of wounds actually from broken marriages or relationships or family that have fallen apart because there wasn't clear teaching on the divine design of man, woman, family, and christ so please lord i'm begging you right now help the bible to speak don't let me get in the way help me to teach clearly and help us to learn well that we might live this louder and we pray this in your name amen so right around this time of the year it's april yeah um back in the third grade um I went to a bunch of different schools. I won't tell you the list, but the one school I had the most pride of was my elementary. And that was my, my elementary. And actually, I think Christy and I... Oh, you was there too. Oh, okay. They're, they live right next to the school. I think Christy and I were classmates in that school, though we didn't know each other. Um, but right around this time of the year, um, we would be getting ready for May Day. So I don't know if they still do it. I don't know if elementary still do this, but May Day was a big deal. Um, it'd be this big, huge performance and all the grades would do a a song or a dance or something and my third grade year I'll never forget it because we were told early in April I think it was even earlier than that we're getting ready that for the third graders we are going to learn the foxtrot now people chuckle who know that everyone else doesn't know what that is what is a foxtrot you know Um, but foxtrot is a genre of what kind of dance that's right it's a ballroom dance it's a slow slow fast, fast, you know, and, and now, now third grade, all my buddies were acting all like, eh, nah, nah. you know, like the, the gross, because third grade girls have cooties, right, um, that's, that's a made-up germ that the, that, that the girl has, or the boy has, and so all my friends are like, oh, no, foxtrot, eh, nah. and I'll be honest with you, I was awakened at a very young age, and deep down in my heart, I was like, foxtrot, <laughs> yes, where's my partner, I'm ready to dance, you know, like, and, and I, I remember being I remember being genuinely so excited. Um, Christy, I was just talking about my, my, do you remember May Days? Big stuff, right? Okay, so she had the electric slide. Um, In third grade, I had the Foxtrot, our grade had Foxtrot. And I was genuinely so excited, and I remember the first day, and usually they'll bring in someone to, not a teacher to to teach the dance, like so hip-hop year, it'd be some other person. This year, Foxtrot, they had an actual ballroom instructor. And I remember, you know, just so nervous about who I'm going to be paired up with. And thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna dance with a girl, you know, and and um and I was so excited, and I remember this, I will never forget it because it shocked me. I was already nervous that I was gonna square up with a with a lady, but he was like, gentlemen on the floor, (laughs) and I like the boys came out and just no girls, just boys, and I was super nervous. And, and all I remember in that first dance lesson was, gentlemen lead, gentlemen lead. That's all I remember, just gentlemen lead. Um, finally, halfway through the class, he let us actually pair up, and I was so nervous, and I was so unsure of how to do this thing. I remember my partner like, you know, she was like, ah, ah, like, stepping on her toes and, and just like push, lead, slow, slow, fast, fast. And I, and I just, it was, it, was a, it was a mess. I did not like it. I didn't want to do Foxtrot anymore. I was like, I quit. I don't like this dance. Um, It's something that I was once so excited and, and wanted to do and enjoy for that first lesson. It was miserable. Now, that was just the first lesson. And throughout the time, from April all the way to May, he had to separate the boys and separate the girls and teach us our parts, teach us our roles, teach us our steps, teach the guys how to lead with your frame, how to, you know, posture up and come on, gentlemen, you know, like, confidence and stuff like that, it was, it was actually, at first, all my friends were like, mm-hmm, and at the end, we're all like, you know, like all serious business, but I remember this, once I got my steps, and then once my partner came, and once we connected, and did it, and moved, and we, we understood that we were different in design, we had different steps, but we were both essential in order for the dance to work and be beautiful, equal of essence. You know, not one person was more important than the other. What's more important, the right wing or the left wing when you're in the sky? They're both important, but different design and different function. And now here's the thing. Once we learned it and embraced it, guess what? All the mommies, daddies, uncles, aunties, all the friends were like, you know, it was beautiful. I mean, it probably wasn't super beautiful. But in, in our minds, it was, we were not bad. I mean, we weren't stepping on toes. It was like slow, slow, fast, fast, hey, you know? Uh, third graders, right? Um, I'm sure you guys can dance better than I did in third grade. But, but the point is this, though, and I hope it's clear, and I hope, I hope it already came out in the observation time, that men and women, it is like a divine dance. Equal of essence and value. Different in function and design. And when my big argument with this text is when men and women, they embrace God's beautiful design, they will thrive in the church and God will be glorified. It's so fun to dance well and dance together. Right now, we're in the part of a letter that's written to a church that from chapter 1, what was already brought up in observation time, they've had bad teaching. Now, bad teaching leads to bad thinking. Bad thinking leads to bad application. And it's not surprising to me that there's dysfunction in the relationships between men and women because it goes back to the top. There is bad teaching so right now tonight what i hope us to see because it's really happening in this church in ephesus is we have disconnected and divisive men in the church and paul has a word for them we have distracting and disruptive women in the church and paul has a word for them and that a failure to function in this divine design is deadly but there's hope there's hope you can still learn the steps Don't, don't hold on for, that's why I want to get to verse 15, but Paul is working really hard, and this was put about in the beginning of the letter, I taught this, 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15, 16, the whole purpose and goal of this letter is to put this church back in order. It's disorganized. It's dysfunctional from the top down. We get big hints already of how Kai this church family is, and this should be great comfort to us, because there's no perfect church out there. Our church is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And so these lessons to this church will greatly apply to us as a church family today. Because I wouldn't be shocked and surprised that much of the wounds that you may be nursing in this place, much of the heartbreak that you are still undergoing in this place may spring forth from dysfunction in the family, dysfunction in the relationship between men and women. This is why premaritals are so important. This is why there's so much content out there about men and women. Because the world knows this, something's wrong between men and women. We don't have a picture of a divine dance. We have a picture of a big beef. Us versus them. He versus she. And that is not how God intended it to be. So Paul brings us back to Genesis. We'll go back to Genesis. But as we work through these short verses, there's a lot in there. So please, just walk With me through this, Paul is first going to address the brados. He kind of already was addressing them earlier in the chapter. He's going to address them more directly in chapter 3. And then the rest of our text tonight is going to be he's going to address the women. But one thing that I got to harp and I got to remind us again and again, the context of this letter. This is written in the context of putting order in the gathered assembly. This is how they ought to function in the church, a gathering like this, a gathering like Sunday. Okay, that's very key. Just hold on to that. That's very key. And that will help us discern and, and, and apply and define verses 9 to 15 better. So here we go. Are you ready? Divine dance lessons. Verse 8. I desire. Now, bear with me. I'm slow. Um, ESV could have did better, I think, in the English translation here. There is a therefore in the Greek there. It says, I therefore desire. So that's important because the therefore means this is in conjunction with the verses prior. From verse 1 to 7, what has Paul been talking about? Chapter 1, you need sound doctrine, you need to teach the gospel clearly. Chapter 2, you need to pray, you need to to pray gospel clearly. And therefore, after he gave them teaching on how to pray in the church, not just preach the gospel but pray the gospel, I, therefore, in light of the priority of prayer, he just talked about prayer and how important that is. That was two weeks ago for us. Hopefully our prayer lives have gone through the roof by then because you guys are applying the Bible. We're applying the Bible, and I believe you guys are. I, therefore, desire, bulomai, I really want this. There's a, there's a will involved. There's, this is the purpose that I have that in every place. Now, observation time, brought up, brought up. What is Every place. Because does that mean McDonald's and 7-Eleven and every place we go there needs to be a guy lifting holy hands in prayer? The context of this is what? The gathered assembly. So Paul is speaking of in every place. He uses that phrase in four other places in his letters. And every single time he's referencing to the local church assembly. That's 1 Corinthians 1-2. That's 2 Corinthians 2-14. And 1 Thessalonians 1-8 if you're taking notes. But in every place he's talking about in every church in every local assembly this is his desire now here he speaks to the men men should pray again not that women can't but it's giving us hints in that in this church right here the men are not praying he's writing to Ephesus and his great desire is that men pray in every church, especially this one, because it seems like you're disinterested men and you're disconnected. And he's saying, I desire that men should pray in every place. I know women can pray because First 1 Corinthians 11.5 talks about that in his implication. So Paul, again, he's trying to put the church in order. And right now he's going to address men and women because there's this dysfunction here. So let me talk to the broadest first. This is what Paul is saying. Now here it's not... Complicated, but men should pray. Men. Here's the first point. Biblical manhood calls for praying in purity and humility. Let me read to the end. In every place, men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. Let's work with this right now. So, biblical manhood, it calls for this. So, men, listen up, but not just men, women. Because this is how you pray for men, children. This is how you pray for dad and uncle and brother. He desires that men should pray. Now, it's not surprising to me that one of the things men struggle with the most is what? It is. And I'll be honest. It's hard. In our fallen nature, we know like. That's why it's not shocking to me if you were to do statistics, I could easily do them. But most of the churches that I've ever been a part of, the predominant gender that's at a prayer meeting is women. I think that's my truck. That is spiritual warfare. We are going through. Just keep honking. It's all, it'll, it'll turn out. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Um, my truck does that. It's weird. Um. But he biblical manhood calls for praying. Now, I say impurity and humility because, look, it says this. Pray, lifting up holy hands. Now, the lifting of hands is very common in the Old Testament of a posture of prayer. 1 Kings 8.22, Nehemiah 8.6, Psalm 63. There's always, we read again and again of lifting holy hands. But, you know, look, it's, it's close. It's interesting. Paul doesn't say, I want men in every church to just lift up their hands praying. Lift up holy hands the holiness a pyro hosias care it's referencing to a heart there must be a purity in our heart that's why i love when brother mart brought up what does it mean for a guy to show up and stand and act like he's praying when in the heart of hearts he's in sin listen to this psalm 66 verse 18 to 19 if i had cherished iniquity sin wickedness in my heart the lord would not have listened You hear that? That's Psalm 66. But truly God has listened. He has attended the voice of my prayer. Psalm 24, 3 to 4, it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear falsely. You see how the heart and the hands must line up. This is why the application, bros, is not, he just wants us to lift our hands. It must start with an inward heart. I pray, boys in the room, little boys, young men in our church growing up, that you would see real men really praying. And it starts with a posture of the heart. The hands mean nothing if it's an if it's an outward expression of something that's false inside. You know what's more damaging in the church? is seeing men who pray eloquent big prayers when you know in their secret lives they live a whole other life. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6-5, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. That's Matthew 6-5. Now look at this. It says, they love to stand and pray. And I'm sure you could tag on they probably love to raise their hands. They love to stand and pray in synagogues, street corners, that they may be seen by others. And then Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray in secret. That's when the Father sees you. So for some practical application in this, if you want to know how to cultivate a pure heart, holy hands in prayer, start in the private place. Because who you are when you're all alone, only God sees. There's no one else to impress. Men in the church... We don't want to appear pious and godly, and make like Father in heaven. We pray that when our hearts, when we're living in sin, when these these hands that are meant to be holy are doing sinful things, the very next day. So here's a call to disconnected and divisive men. If you have an impure heart tonight. Go to the cross. Plead the blood. Preach to yourself Easter service again. How else do you and I get holy hands? Christ is our righteousness. This is the gospel all over again. And then men, real men, when they see that they're really sinners and in need of a savior and they humble themselves and with a pure heart they pray. This is what Paul is saying. I want that. That's what we need in this church, Ephesus. That's what we need in New Uanu. We need men to be the spiritual leaders of the congregation and step up and pray. Or I should say, step down and bend the knee and pray. Now, it's crazy. Paul knows men very well because right after that, he says, without anger and without quarreling. Come on, doesn't he know Bradas pretty well? Bradas, who's angry? Who's been angry? Maybe you're still angry tonight. Who's quarreling? Who's got a beef? See, these are men in Ephesus that were disconnected. They didn't want to pray, and they were divisive. They just like scrap and beef with God and with others. Now, let's put it in its context. Think about it. You have a church with leadership that's all cup of kai. You're getting bad teaching, and the women in the church are, if you see through the letter, it's sprinkled out, the women aren't, doing well in the church and so there's you got fights here you got fights there i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the men in this church are angry and they're quarreling and they're upset but what call, what paul is doing then he's calling the brothers come back to the cross and pray biblical manhood is a call for praying in purity and humility humility without anger We're quarreling. Pride causes us to fight. This is James 4. What causes quarreling and fights among you? It's it's within us. We don't like. We get our excuses. That's really our downfall. Real men pray. Brothers, are you angry tonight? Are you quarreling this evening? If you have a beef in your heart, I'm begging you embrace humility, confess your sins to Christ, come to the cross, plead for pure hands, and get to your knees and begin to pray. If you've ever studied the prayer life of Jesus, have you ever done that? You should do that. Jesus' prayer life, it was so true and transparent, visible and real. You know, out of all the things the disciples wanted to learn from Jesus recorded in the Scripture. The disciples didn't say, "Oh Jesus, teach us how to do your exegesis and exposition." You just preach so good. Oh Jesus, teach us how to do miracles and feed thousands like you. You know what's recorded? The disciples asking them, asking Jesus to teach them. Luke eleven, Jesus, teach us to pray. I love that we're talking about prayer. I love that the Bible talks about prayer. Young men and men in the house, older men, all of us men and women listen. But men, I speak directly to you. You want to know the true measure of a man? It's Christ-likeness. You want to man up? You want to be a man? Be like Christ. That's what Paul is pleading them to be. Men, pray. Who prayed? Jesus prayed. Mark 1.35, he rose up early in the morning while it's still dark. He went out to a solitary place and he prayed. Luke 5.16, he often withdrew to desolate places and he prayed. Hebrews 5.7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered prayers, supplications with tears and cries. That's not being wuss. That's not being emo. That's not being sissy. That's King Jesus right there. That's manhood, crying out in prayer to him who is able to save him from death. Hebrews 7:25. Consequently he, Jesus, is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he, now listen, he, Jesus, always lives to intercede for him. You know what Jesus is doing right now? Men? He's praying. I love this verse, I want to, I didn't want to rush through this verse because I think this verse is one of the reasons why the next verses are there. The men don't know our role. We don't know how to be the spiritual leaders God has called us to be. We do not know how to pray. We do not know how to seek God humbly and for a pure heart. Therefore, it's hard for women to follow. It's hard for women to submit because we just angry all the time. We're just fighting all the time. We're all upset all the time. We, we have these issues and we don't bring it to the cross. One of the greatest things that any man can do, any young man can learn to do, children, boys, aspire this, aspire to grow up and be men who pray and truly pray. The, the, the most shaping things in my Christianity have been when, has been when I witnessed men literally pray their knees off in desperation for god seeing that live whether they saw me see them or not has shaped me so much to my core that that's what i want to be and i think if we start there and learning our parts i do think it will complement like what was brought up earlier our partners because it's in the place of prayer that you realize it's not about you it's in the place of prayer we realize it's about Jesus. It's in the place of prayer we learn how to, to, to be humble and meek and gentle and understanding. And so when it's time to lead, when it's time to lay it down, what woman would not want to follow that? So I didn't want to rush through this. But this is Paul, really, he's, he's charging the men in Ephesus. And the word of God is charging the men tonight. Biblical manhood is a call for praying in purity and humility. It's not too late, brothers. All right, I'm going to give you some hope. Tonight is the night. Tonight, we get on our knees. Tonight, we make those lists. Tonight, we pray all sorts of prayer. Tonight, we get right with God. We want pure hearts, holy hands. Don't fake it. Don't fabricate it. I did that when I was a teenager. I tried to act like I was praying and singing can't punk god i'll give you a couple verses i want to move on to the ladies first corinthians 13 14 be watchful stand firm in the faith act like men don't you like that verse women don't you like that verse Yeah. yeah act like men be strong let all that you do be done in love this is macho-ness be watchful how do you be watchful well jesus taught be watchful and pray don't fall into temptation so let us aspire to be men who truly pray in purity and humility. And then I think verse 9, 10, and 11 may come more fruitfully. So the men in Ephesus are struggling. They're lacking spiritual leadership. And now there's that likewise. There's that pivot. There's that shift in the verse. All right? Now men don't tune out just because it's going to be speech to the women. All right? Don't do that. Children, don't tune out. Because this is how we pray for the women. This is how we pray for mommy and auntie and grandma. Likewise. All right? Here we go. Also that women, Gune, should adorn themselves. Adorn. Oh, It's where we get our English word. Take a guess. What does it sound like? Cosmetics. Yeah, make pretty pretty. All right? Adorn. Decorate. Now he says this though. But decorate like this. In respectable apparel, cosmeals, appropriate attire. That's what this word means. It's called a suitable dress. So there's an appropriate dress for for certain occasions, right? Um, Do you wear your dive suit to the gym, boys? You wear slacks and ties to the gym? I hope not. Um, Yeah, no, what do you wear to the gym? Oh, yeah, tank top or something like that, right? Um, But do you wear the tank top and slippers to the wedding? Please don't. Please don't wear that to the next wedding. I know we local. I know we Hawaii. I know we all chihu, but come on. It's a wedding, you know, um, unless they ask you to. Um, but, but, you know, there's, there's a different attire for a different place. Now, what's the context of this? The gathered worship service. Let me put it in perspective like this for us, for the women and for the men. Think, to the place of worship, the place where there's saints and sinners gathering to sing songs of praise, to confess their sins, seek forgiveness, hear the word, glorify God. What's appropriate attire for a place like that? Huh? Just put it in perspective like that. Because right now, the women in Ephesus, if he's telling them, you got to wear respectable apparel, you got to be dressed with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness If he's speaking to them like that, it means that in this place, what they're doing is dressing to impress. They're dressing to draw attention to themselves and not put attention on God. Here's the point. Beautiful womanhood draws attention to God and not to self. The gospel is so big to us, it even changes the way we dress. Now remember, the context There's an appropriate dress for this place you're at home rock your bottle bottles go for it that's appropriate for that place but in the gathered assembly paul is saying women in ephesus he's not after the braids and he's not after jewelry it's the heart it's the motive the reason why i know that in songs of solomon she has jewelry rebecca has jewelry generous genesis twenty four fifty three. so what does paul mean In this culture, when a woman would braid hair, put gold and costly stuff in there, it's a form of seduction. The woman, that's very prostitute-like in that culture, in that day in Ephesus. Ephesus was a big city, and the sex vibe was huge in that city, and the way the women of that time would seduce and draw attention and get showy and want to show their bling and make all tantaran, is they would braid hair and gold and jewels. And they would do it excess. Or how Hannah would say, extra. They was just extra. You know? And, and, but now you think though, that reveals an attitude of the heart. In their mind, being beautiful is getting everyone to look at me when I walk in the door. But this is the place of worship. The glory and attention is to go to who, church? God. I like how... Um, John MacArthur puts it in his works. He says, wouldn't a godly woman feel ashamed if she distracted someone from worshiping God? Or wouldn't she feel ashamed if she was the one who helped contribute to one's lustful thoughts? Just questions. Because women who profess godliness, don't you want to? Don't we want to glorify God? That's the heart of this. Don't be so stuck on the braid and the pearls. He's trying to get to the heart. See, both these instructions to the men and to the women they're very similar it's not about the lifting of your hands it's the heart bro holy hands see the inside the outside got to match the attitude and the actions got to make sense it's got to be in sync and in harmony your heart and your art needs to flow that's what he's getting at with the men and the women see women you professing godliness but you look and dress and act just like the world and that's where he's getting at see Beautiful womanhood draws attention to God. And how does one do that? Look, good works. Ladies, you want to bling? You want to shine? Jesus says it like this, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine. You want to stand out? Shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to who? The Father. We got a ton of gorgeous women in our church. They're beautiful. So thankful for the godly women and and, and faithful grandparents, grandmas, like the Leanna Benz, Gail Galeharts, Janice Nakamura. I can name a bunch in this room. And they radiate and they shine. And they're beautiful in God's eyes. They adorn themselves. By speaking a gospel that matches their lifestyle, and it even affects the way they choose to dress. Everything we are, church, these principles apply to us too, men. It is all meant to display God and his glory. We're his image bearers. First Peter 3, 3 to 4, don't let your adorning be external, braided hair, putting on gold jewelry or clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, an imperishable beauty, a gentle, quiet spirit. Now hear this, which in God's sight is very precious. Women, little girls, in God's eyes, what's beautiful is your heart's desire To love him and honor him and draw attention to him. And it's done through your profession of godliness and your good deeds. You see, in the church in Ephesus, like maybe in the church today, in the world today, the world is teaching them to put so much effort and emphasis on the outward, not the inner. Guys, it's all about the outside, not the inside. Women, it's all about how you look not the inside. The Bible is teaching a totally opposite message. First Samuel 16 says this, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. Psalm 51, God delights in the truth in the inward being, in the secret heart. Ladies, when you put effort into getting your dress ready or your, your apparel ready for worship, think, what is going to give glory to God? What's going to get the attention going on in Him? You see, the ladies in the church that day, they were so insecure, so desperate for affection, that they needed to dress in such a way that people would look at them. You don't need to do that here. Not here. Not with what we know. God wants your heart This message is for men, too. He wants your heart. Boys, you're not going to get brownie points in heaven by how much you bench press, okay? Ladies, you're not going to get more in favor with the king by how much bling you got. This is not how it works in God's economy. He sees our hearts. And Paul is urging men and women to put greater emphasis on the heart. Can you imagine people talk about screen time? Let's talk about mirror time. Okay? And that your phone counts as a mirror time. Huh? You know, you're looking at yourself or your photos. Can you imagine if you put how much mirror time you put in a day? Can you imagine if you put that much same time and effort on your heart? On growing in godliness? Just think about that. 1 Timothy 4 says this bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Now, I'm not out against hygiene or looking good because the Bible says bodily training's got value. It's just training in godliness. This inside, that lasts forever. Your character, that lasts forever. Okay. We're at verse 11. You guys got some in you? Or should we pause till next week? Okay, I think you got some in you. Okay, I saw saw some heads go like that. Nope, but I keep going. Okay, so he's continuing to speak to the woman. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly. I'm going to read it to the end. "Um, With all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Okay, you read that, face value, you get a lot of vibes. Okay, I get that. But here's the thing. Here's the big thing. Men and women, particularly women in our text, will thrive in the church when they embrace God's very good design. That's a big overarching point. Here's three sub-points I want us to see in this verse. God's design is for women's development. God's design is for His delight. God's design, disordered, leads to deception. I'll say that one more time. God's design is for women's development. His design is for his delight. And his design, disordered, leads to deception. Now, as we work through this, I'm going to go slow. And I want to point out things this does not mean to help us understand what it does, okay? So remember this context. Church is filled with bad teaching. Men and women are in a bad relationship. 1 Timothy 4, women are, I mean, they're teaching, there's marriage should be forbidden. Women are gossiping in chapter 5. The next letter, chapter 3, women are giving in to the false teachers, into all their passions. So this church, men and women in this place, particularly women, it's really messed up, okay? So here we go. That's the context. God's design is for women's development. The first thing he says, let a woman learn. That is not suggestion. That's command for Now, understand this about the culture and the context. In that time, Pastor Bob talked about this on Sunday Women were not expected to learn in that day. Women actually were pushed away. Rabbis, if a woman came to the rabbi and said, can I learn from you? They'd be like, "Yep, yeah, no. That was normal in this day. So Paul is saying something totally countercultural. He's commanding, no, women learn. Women love doctrine. Women learn. Why would, women, why would he want women to learn if they're not supposed to use their knowledge? So that's going to help us. Okay, understand that. He's saying, let a woman learn. That is huge. There's examples all through the scripture of learned women, guys, and girls. New Testament, our very guy who's receiving this letter, Timothy, guess who taught him, who acquainted him with the sacred writings? Who, who? His mom and his grandma. Huh. Let a woman learn. Know your Bible, woman of God. Acts 18, 26, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla listed first before the man. They heard a good preacher. His name was Apollos. And they explained to him the way of God more accurately. That's a learned woman right there, Priscilla. She knew her Bible. John 4, Jesus was at the well with a woman. And he said, did you know he began to teach a woman? And she's tripping. Why are you talking to me? First, I'm one sis. And second, I'm one Samaritan. And Jesus, countercultural, teaches this woman. Paul says, Hey, church, let a woman learn. You know why he's probably saying that? Because in the church, there's this vibe of women shouldn't learn. Because that's what the culture is teaching. And Jesus and Paul and the Bible is saying, no, let a woman learn. God's design is meant for women to thrive and to be developed. I love this stuff. His heart is for women to learn. And in its corporate context, Paul is now going to emphasize the best way God designed the woman to thrive and to learn and to exercise her gifts. Because like someone said in Observation Time, people will use texts like this to oppress and push down and belittle women. And men, if you use this text to buttress that train of thought, that women are less than or that women should not learn and they should not teach blanket statement period then you are misreading your bible you're flat out wrong we men must make sure we understand this because this is not a text used to oppress that's not christianity so we must read carefully we must read in its context paul is trying to put the church back in order because there's women in the church who are being disruptive and distracting. So let's keep going. Let a woman learn. That's a significant thing right there. Now here's a word that's that plenty of people fumble on, quietly. Now what does this mean? Let's. What does this mean, quietly? So are we out of line when I did observation time and, and sister spoke up? Oh, is that what this means? Does this mean she has to be? All the ladies, shh, and all the guys, we can relax, Hmm? The principle of quietness. Let's understand this from the Bible. Let me give you another verse here. 2 Thessalonians 3.12 says this, Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. What does that mean? Does that mean when all of you guys went to work today, you got to be very, shh, that's a little too loud. Is that what it means? Now, see, this word quietly, when you study its context, when you study the Greek, it, it's, it's a description of a life of doing work without disrupting. It's a word of doing work or doing something without meddling in the affairs of others, meaning the women in the church were meddling and disrupting from their appearance and the way in which they were acting in the service. So when he's saying women, you got to learn. I want you to learn. But do it quietly with all submissiveness. Now, we'll get to that word because it's another one. But this word is not meaning that, ladies, you should hush up. That is wrong. How are you going to learn if you can't ask questions? This is not what it's saying. It's not saying that women are to just be, shh. So we can take that thought and throw it out the window. And any man that uses this verse to, to teach that is wrong. All right? So apparently, women were trying to learn in a disruptive way, and then he goes on and he says, submissive, okay, that's another word that even in our cultural context today, people don't like that word. People don't like authority, they don't like to submit, okay? But look, let's understand this, submissiveness, subjecting, yielding, obedience. Now this word submission, I want to tell you straight up right now, and I'm going to show you from the Bible, this is not a bad thing. Submission is a beautifully good thing. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean this, women are to be treated like doormats. It doesn't mean that they're to be treated like a slave or bossed around or pushed around or pushed down. If someone reads a verse like this to get a woman to hush up and sit down, he is totally misreading his Bible and he doesn't understand a thing about this. That's not what this word means and that's not what Paul is trying to communicate Submission is an attribute that I admire and I desire so much. I want to grow in my submission. You know why? Let's start right away from the top. Let's look at Christ Jesus, our Lord, the Son of God. Luke twenty-two, forty-two. 42. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. You know what that is? Submission. Jesus submitted to the Father. Oh, Philippians 2, 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. Submission. So Jesus submitted to the Father's plan. So is Jesus looked down on and considered to be oppressed? Is that something that we have to look at and not see as an example? No, that is a beautiful thing. This is not an, an issue of inequality. Jesus submitted to the Father. Is he any any, any, any less than the Father and the Holy Spirit? No, we say it tonight. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one. But Jesus, in humility, is displaying submission. So this word to the, to the women, to be submissive, it's saying like to the men, be like Christ. That's the word. You see, God's design is, is beautiful. And it's for women's development. But hear this, it's also for His delight. God likes submission. Look at this. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's submission, Kiki. And guess what the Bible then says? This is right. It's a right thing to submit. So don't read submission as a word of, ladies, you are less than and you're to be stepped on. That's not what the Bible is teaching. Colossians 3.20 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's submission. And then it says, this pleases the Lord. So ladies when you choose to submit, submitting ultimately to the Lord and under the man, the partner in this dance, in God's eyes, he says, that's wonderful, that's beautiful. That's how I wanted you guys to dance. See, the world has so much other messages it's trying to tell us about this word. And Paul is trying to correct it all. Now here we go. We're going to keep pushing on because it gets a little bit more uncomfortable. Hopefully, it's being less uncomfortable because God's design is for women's development and his delight. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, the sub-point for this is God's design distorted leads to deception. Now, when he says, I don't permit a woman to teach, what's the context, church? The gathered assembly. Is this a blanket statement? So when my wife is instructing me, as she often does, and she must, because I'm often wrong, do I take a verse like this, whoa, 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 I do not permit. <laughs> right? Is that what the Bible says? When Charles Spurgeon, who accredits so much of his Calvinism to the cook in his school, which was a woman, who he says taught me so much of the doctrines of grace, was, was Charles Spurgeon to go, whoa, 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 Auntie, I do not permit. No, he doesn't do that. He totally celebrates her. What do we do with all the women we've already talked about? Priscilla, Eunice, all these educated women who taught. What do we do with Titus when he says women teach the younger women? So here we go. It's not a blanket statement when he says I don't permit a woman to teach. It's in this context, in this setting, and he's going to give us the reason why. Why? Because women, oh, this is why I was so excited to get to this part of the verse. I thank you all so much mighty women of God who faithfully taught the word of God in the church to the people of God in its various forms. My life has been forever shaped by so many Sunday school teachers, my own mom, and so many powerfully godly women that the list is so long, I wish I could thank them all. So please, don't you dare stop Loving the Bible and teaching it well. All the mommies and grandmas and women in this church right here in this room. This is not saying you have no place in the church and you're not allowed to teach. That's so out of context. And I hope I'm making it abundantly clear. Here's one more. I hope you like this because it's fresh from Easter Sunday. Who was at the tomb? Pastor Bob preached this. It was the women and who went to tell who that he is risen it was the women did the apostles go oh ho, 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 sis i do not permit no way they received it and they went looking for the savior so what is he talking about he's talking about in the context of the gathered assembly in authority Exercising authority, it's interesting, chapter 3 is all about the office of the overseer, the pastor, the elder, who is to be the primary teacher in the gathered assembly, the men in the church. Not that because women are less than, this is the divine design. This is, gentlemen lead, gentlemen lead. And in this gathering, in this context, this is how we are supposed to flow. Now, he's going to give the argument as to why he's saying this, and he brings us all the way back to the garden. But I want to make sure I dispel any thought that someone would use this verse to say that women must sit down and be quiet. That is not, that is not what this is teaching. I hope and pray that that is clear. And I hope and pray that now understanding that women in the church, you would embrace a verse like this and be like, let's go. Let's delight in doctrine. I was so encouraged on my way tonight, getting up here into the room. A number of sisters already approached me, sharing with me praise reports from the weeks of how they've been witnessing and sharing the gospel and leading people to the Lord. And now they're bubbling and teeming with ideas of how to keep exercising these gifts, starting small groups, starting book clubs, just learning and teaching, learning and teaching. And I say yes and amen. All the men, we say yes and amen. Amen. We want women who love the Bible. And women, we want men who will lead humbly and be the spiritual leaders and teach the bible well we want to dance we want to dance together we shouldn't be pitted against each other now here we go paul is going to get into why why paul why must it be in this order well paul didn't just make it up this is not a cultural issue it's a created order issue he says adam was formed first than eve this is not paul saying first is the worst second is the best or no yeah that would be opposite but this, this is not paul saying First is better than second, okay? He's stating facts from the Bible that Adam, God created first, then Eve. Again, men and women are equal of essence, different in design, same value and worth. Is the child any less human than the parent? No, they're equal in essence. They have different function. The parent must take charge over the child. The child must submit for there to be good safety and fruitful living. And that's not an attack on who's better and who's worse. This is just God's beautiful created design, his order. Look at this. In Genesis 127, God created man in his own image. In um, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see the order? Male and female. It's just the order. And then get this. Verse 31, guess what God said about that created order? Oh, this is very good. So the question then is, is whether we believe his design is good or not that's the real issue here it's very good god created this order and it was beautiful now listen in chapter three at the fall how does satan attack how does he do this listen quick careful i'll read it to you for some reason this is blue's favorite story in all of the world right now we read the creation story maybe all month um but here we go, verse 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field the Lord had made. And the serpent said to who first? Now think about that. If I'm Satan, and I'm a trickster, and I want to tear this whole thing apart because I hate God, I want to be God. What's the first thing he does? He tries to attack the order. He, he, he talks to the woman. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of, the tree the fruit of, um, eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, question, what's the man doing? I don't know, disconnected. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, that the tree was desired to make one. Why? She took, she saw, she took, she ate. She also gave some to her husband, who's taking the lead in the eating of the fruit. It's very interesting that Satan, the most cunning crafty of all, the first thing he goes after is the order of creation. He incites the woman to take the lead, and both of them, Now, when Paul says Eve was deceived, not Adam, he's not letting the guys off the hook. Read Romans 5. It's all our fault, guys. The the responsibility is on us. Adam's transgression. What he's pointing out in this is the order got switched around. That's the big problem in this church. Ephesus, you're all out of order, even in your men and women relationships. And he's trying to show them from the creation account that Eve was deceived first. Eve was deceived and Adam disobeyed. Both was fallen and at fault. But what he's trying to show us in the text, the reason why the men are to be the leaders, the spiritual leaders, and teach in the corporate setting, is that's the divine design that God made. That's why in chapter 3, men, overseers, elders, and pastors... That's why. It's not an attack at women. It's a call to the created order and design. The question you have to ask yourself is do you believe his design is very good? That's the big question. God's design, when distorted, it leads to deception and that deception led to the fall and the result of the fall was disorder and human race fell into depravity and judgment constant struggle it says when they fell and they cursed it says um after that he says your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you now the relationship between men and women because of sin is gonna be tough that's why there's so many books out there about guys and girls and men and women and how to make it work and it's just the forever perennial problem, right? How do men and women get along? Well, I know the reason why it's hard. Sin, the fall, the distortion of the created order. And friends, family, we are, the Satan is still doing the same tactic. We are living in a time where even man and woman is being dis, disordered and dysfunctional. The, the, the very reality of what a man is and what a woman is being confused, what, why would Satan want to do that? Of course, distort the order and the, the race will fall. The tricks have never changed since the beginning of time and Paul is just trying to get us to go all the way back. The question is is just do we believe it or not? Will we embrace God's beautiful design and learn to dance together, hand in hand in harmony? Male and female in the image of God. Displaying his glory. And Paul's working really hard. And I'm pleading with us tonight, church. And I'm so glad there's so many little ones here. Because listen up. In a day and an age where the created order is so attacked. The distortion of family and man and woman is so warped. It's not over. There's so much hope. We can still dance Nu'uanu, and we can we can flip the script by the power and the grace of God and embrace his beautiful design and display the gospel to a broken and fallen world. They can come into a church family like this and see that men and women get along. They love each other. They respect each other. They speak highly of each other. The men love the women, and we lay our down our lives, and the women submit and yield and follow At the end of the day, the woman says, I'll follow your lead. But when someone's got to die, the man says, I'm going to take it. I'm going down. I'm going to lay it down. This is beautiful. This is the gospel. So will we enjoy the dance? I pray so. Verse 15, last verse, and we're done. Oh, verse 15. Goodness gracious. I'll try to be brief. But definitely this is one of those verses that uh, Peter was thinking of. This is a tough one, Paul. But let me just show you one thing it does not mean. Two things it could mean and will be done. She will be saved through childbearing. Okay, what this does not mean, that she will be saved through childbearing. (laughs) Salvation in the sense of an eternal security. This word sozo, it's used commonly in the New Testament, not just for eternal security. It's talking about just deliverance from the day in Matthew eight twenty five in the storm save us we're gonna drown that's the word sozo um, let me give you another one second Timothy four eighteen the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed so it's a word of just rescuing and saving so one it does not mean that you're saved by works we know that Ephesians 2 8 says you're saved by grace through faith it doesn't mean women that you need to go have a baby to be saved okay don't read that verse children little little girls be like oh my gosh if I don't have a child, I'm going to hell. That's not what the verse means. Otherwise, Paul would be telling all the women, hey, let's go, have a baby, so you'd be saved. That's not what he's teaching because in 1 Corinthians, he says it's okay to be single, right? Scripture can't contradict Scripture. Interpret the Bible with the Bible. So what does, what could it mean? Two things and we'll be about. Some believe and some argue, and I, and I say some because I've read so many commentaries on this, okay? And it's like split down the middle. I have my favorite guys on both sides, okay? So it's just wherever this lands, here we go. The first one, they say it's a redemption for the soul, and they're connecting the dots to Christ, the promised seed. So in Genesis 3.15, you know, the cursed women, you're going to have hard time childbearing. um, And some will say that what Paul is referencing to is the promised child. In 3.15, um, Satan, woman, your offspring will crush the head of the serpent, alluding to Jesus Christ. Now, that, that's one teaching and argument that Paul is actually trying to reference to Christ, okay? I won't tell you where I land on these things. I'm just going to put it out there. You can ask me after. That's one thing. So they're trying to connect the dots in this verse that you're going to be saved through the ultimate offspring, Jesus Christ, okay? Another thing it could mean is that you're, you're saved. Um, the first one is a redemption of the soul. The second one is a redemption of the role as a woman, So part of the curse is that bearing women will be hard, and all the mommies in the house said, amen, right? Um, Bearing children, raising offspring is going to be tough stuff, painful stuff, and all the ladies said yes, um, but that you will be rescued and saved through it. There's going to be an opportunity to redeem that role as a woman if you continue on in faith, love, and holiness, and self-control, living the Christian life, continuing in the faith. What faith? A saving faith that you're saved by grace. Continuing on in Christianity, that there's an opportunity of redemption for the role of womanhood. That's one teaching. And however you may land on this, this we do know, that there is redemption after the fall. That's the last point. And the redemption is only found in Christ Jesus. So however you may want to nuance and apply or interpret this part of the text, we do know this, that all of us in this room as men and women, we've stepped on toes, and we have not danced well. We've had many fights. I see all the heads nodding and looking at each other right now. And I'm glad you're in a good, safe place to say that. But here's the hope. This is why Christ came. This is why Christ came. And why he lived and died and rose and then gives us a whole book of how to dance. How to live and walk as... Christians, men and women of God. And when we do it and embrace it and believe it is good, guys, until glory, we're going to have hard times, but we're going to dance well. There's hope. Young singles, people who are just getting married, ones in high school, in college, you, you know, those who have aspirations and hopes of being in a relationship. Here's the thing. Regardless of your history and your heritage and how many broken marriages or or relationships you've witnessed in your life, here's the thing right here, right now, you have a chance to start new. You could be the first generation of good man and woman relationships. Start with yourself. Start right now. So I pray as we bring this chapter to a close that there would have been a deep desire and a greater appreciation for the brada next to you and the sister next to you, the little boy, the little girl, the mom, the dad, the men and women, and that we, as men and women, are created in God's image and likeness to display his glory, and that glory gets displayed when we embrace God's beautiful design and we begin to dance. Amen? Amen. I hope this was helpful. Um, if you want to talk more after, that's fine. I'm happy to stay here. Let's pray. We'll sing, and we'll go. Lord Jesus, thank you that the Bible is so full of wisdom and knowledge. We confess we are just scratching the surface of how much depth and richness there is in these verses tonight. But I hope and pray that um, I would have taken us into a faithful plunge into it enough to help us understand what these verses do not mean and then what they do mean. And so please help the men at New Juan Baptist Church to be the spiritual leaders. we are charged and called to and lead off humbly, meekly, lovingly and help the women in our church to radiate and adorn themselves with good works. Lord Jesus, help us. We live in a time where stuff like this is so divisive. And I pray, we pray that when we embrace stuff like this, what we would experience is unity. So do this. Teach us to dance. And we pray this in your name. Amen. My burden
0: share, oh, none but thee, dear Lord, none but thee. Just a closer, just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee, oh, let it be, dear Lord, let it be, let it be. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Male or female, just a closer walk with thee, Lord. That's our plea. May he tie us together in his love. May we be unified by his grace. Go in his Peace.